You're listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast, where it's all about exploring possibilities for making an honest living outside of the traditional nine to five. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Corporate Quitter. I'm your host, Gabby Ionello, and today's guest is James Connor. He's a social entrepreneur, fractional CTO, nonprofit advisor, and digital nomad who helps founders and business owners with technical insight and building maintenance of their applications. He's the co-founder of Flexible Sites and CTO for various startups, including Advisor, B.O.B., on track goal management and elevate. James is currently striving to work with a thousand nonprofits and help them succeed in their mission. And I'm so excited that you're not only on this podcast to share your story because I think you have a really inspiring story. How like you had the odds stacked against you, and instead of crumbling under the pressure, you kind of built up all these amazing things. Not only for yourself, but working as a fractional CTO for these amazing other startups is something that's super super cool. Yeah, thank you, Gabby, for having me on Corporate Quitter. I love the podcast and. Do you have some intriguing stories in some of the past episodes and people that I've, I admire for the same thing? They just got tired of the rat race and they said, I want to have more meaning in life. Yeah. It's cool to see too. Now, I'm sure you as well for seeing the great resignation, how like things are changing so drastically and you kind of already being a digital nomad, like you kind of know what it's all about from years prior to the, even COVID happening and people working from home. So probably pretty cool for you. Can you share with listeners what your story is? Like, how did you become an entrepreneur? When, like I said, when the odds were stacked against you, like what was your reality before everything kind of blossomed into what it was now? Yeah. So, I mean, my story started off back in, you know, my high school years. By the time I was 24, I I had four kids. I had gone into a relationship that probably was not best for me at that time. But at this point in time now, I have four beautiful kids. They're all doing their own thing. But you know, at 24, having four little ones going to college, trying to graduate, it definitely was, to say the least, definitely adding boulders going up a hill, right? Life is hard enough when you're young trying to venture out on your own, but to have, you know, mouths to feed and this huge responsibility, I was able to persevere thanks to those nonprofit organizations that were in that area to say, hey, look, you know, we'll provide help for you. You can keep going to school. And eventually I did turn it around. I was able to start my technical career. I started volunteering with other nonprofits trying to get back. And now that I own a company, I've been even trying to do that even more to say, hey, look, these nonprofits were there for me. I wouldn't be in this situation that I am now without their help when I was still young. So for me, it's just a, it's a requirement as I continue to grow as a developer and entrepreneur to find a way to give back to those organizations that were there for me. Yeah. But it's pretty cool how those quote unquote low moments, right? Those moments of difficulty are really the things that have inspired you to now create a really thriving lifestyle for yourself, right? When we're in the, you know, down in the dumps and we're in those, as they call like peaks in the valleys or the mountains in the valleys in life, we can get into those places of like, this sucks, right? Nothing good is coming of this. Like, how could we get out of that? And yet you, again, were met with so many adversity and roadblocks and use that as like the motivating factor, the thing that has really made a difference in this world and has really helped with so many businesses too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even now, I mean, with my kids, obviously one of the messages I, as they were growing up is like, don't have any kids when you're young. Like, don't make the same mistakes <laughs> that I made. But also when I mentor other students and youth, I, I talk to them and say, hey, look, it's a matter also that 
the people that I hung out with when I was in college were not the people I should be fraternizing with. It was fun. You're you're enjoying time. That you know these are guys that would run through a wall for me. You know. But at the end of the day, it's a matter of saying like, hey, look, I need to to get my life on track. I can't be out here on the corner hanging out, drinking and, and things of that nature. So, you know, for me, when I talk to youth, I say, hey, look, make sure you deal with people that are looking to improve their lives as well. So the people that you're around, if they're doing good, you're going to be doing good. So, I mean, they, they will be there to support you, but make sure you're helping out others as well. Yeah. With your journey and everything that's happened, like, how can someone move forward when they're met with that much adversity or roadblocks? Like in this case, is it, yes, changing the people that you hang out with, right? Like the friends you're, you're talking to every single day, having those conversations with, or do you have anything in particular other than maybe not having kids at a young age that you would maybe tell someone who's like really stuck and they're just like, I don't know what to do. How do I get out? For me, it was that one goal and just focusing on that one goal. And for me, the goal was to graduate with a bachelor in science in computer science, you know, cause I felt like once I got that degree, it would open up doors for me. In retrospect, you know, as things are, you know, the landscape is now, it's totally different, right? To get into computer science or technology or development, it's really easy. There's so many resources out there, but the same point applies. You have to say, what's that one goal? If I achieve that one goal, it'll open up another door for me. And then you go through that door and then you go find your next goal. And that's how you just have to be. Regardless of what's going on in life, if something else is going to stop you from reaching that goal, then you need to cut it out. But you set that goal and say, I'm going to get there however long it takes you to get there. Whether you say it's going to take six months, you know, a year, that's fine as long as every day you're working towards that goal. And for me, it was a matter of, hey, I got to stay in school. I can't let anything take away from that. Even though I have all these responsibilities, I needed to get that degree. At any point, if I stopped, I knew I wasn't going to improve on my life. Yeah. So after you got the degree, is that when things started to get easier? Or was there, I'm sure with just life in general, right? You're always met with adversity, especially now considering your four kids are there to stay. Your kids are going to be there till basically, you know, at the end of your life. So, you know, what can someone do again when they're moving forward? It's like, okay, they hit that goal and now they're on to the next goal, right? The next mountain they have to climb, right? I find with a lot of people and even myself, like there's the whole notion of we don't enjoy the journey. We're like, trying to get to that moment of like, oh, when I have the money, I'll be happier. When I have the career, I'll be happier. But then, right, most of life, if we're honest, is in those dips, right? Those moments that roller coaster build up until we actually reach the goal. So do you have any recommendations of like how to deal with those really tough moments or just the uphill battle that happens more often than the actual peaks do? Yeah, I mean, when you get to a peak, it's really great. You, you get that feeling, but it is short-lived because, as you said, next thing you know, we look back up and there's another mountain to climb. So you have to have patience with how fast you're going up that mountain. We don't enjoy the journey, but we should celebrate those small wins. Even if it's something that's like, oh, wow, you know, it, you were surprised that you were able to do that one task, you know, so quickly. So you have to be able to celebrate those and see that you're growing in your adversity. So for me, I wasn't going to graduate just like that. It was, hey, let's take this class make sure we do everything that we, is needed for that class. But even after I graduated, no, it didn't get any easier. It wasn't anybody like, hey, here's a job. I actually looked around for different jobs and it was at Catch-22, just like a lot of college kids deal with today. The employers are looking for experience, but how are you supposed to get that experience without a job, right? 
So it's the chicken and egg problem. So that's what I dealt with when I first graduated. So what I ended up doing is I ended up just taking any job. At that time, it was a data entry job. I worked two jobs for a while. So I was working seven days a week until I got that one break. You know, I kept applying for different jobs. And then someone finally says, okay, we'll take a chance. And from there, that's when things changed. For me, when I got that first job, I was like, all right, I'm doing everything I can do to make this work. And that's the mentality you have to do is to say, I'm going to put all my energy into this one goal or task and make sure it works. You know, do your best, do everything that you can, because if you go in there, you know, nonchalantly or only with half effort, it's not going to happen and you're going to regret it later. So you just have to identify and say, hey, look, if I make this one thing happen, other things will come behind it. Yeah. As we're talking about adversity and roadblocks and like, right, focusing on goals and like, I guess you could say mini goals, if you will, like, right, sub goals, something that comes up or what I think of is, right, we all have strengths and weaknesses. And especially in business, too, when you're considering running the show yourself, like, we are really good at things. Like, in maybe some cases you're like really good at doing your like technical side of things, but maybe you're not so good at like something else that's not technical or whatever it is. So like, how can you determine what your strengths and weaknesses are and yet still prevail through those challenges, whether it is in like going back to school or doing some of those things, or even as you build a business? Yeah. I mean, when you're building a business or doing any kind of venture where you're responsible for everything, you're going to find out your strengths and weaknesses really, really quick. You know, as an employee, you know, you'll go into a a situation you identify, okay, these are the tasks I'm responsible for. This is what I'll take care of. And then that's it, right? That's your world. You know, if you're a receptionist, you're answering the phones, you're getting over to the calendars and, and scheduling and all that, but you're not handling anything with billing. But you won't even know if that's a strength or weakness just because you haven't done it. When you're running a business or you have a side project or side hustle where you're trying to earn some extra income, you're responsible for everything. So in those cases, you'll find out what your strengths and weaknesses are really, really quick. For those times where you find out, hey, you know, I'm not as organized or you tend to procrastinate on things, you need to just identify those as weaknesses and say, okay, well, how do I improve upon that and take the steps to improve upon it? You may never be an expert, but at the same time, you can turn a weakness into something that's not a weakness anymore. It's just, you know, now you know how to best deal with that shortcoming of yours. But in the end, I mean, being able to just go back and reflect and just saying, hey, look, I don't do this very well. And at the end of the day, maybe it's a matter of that you don't have enough time. You would be really good at it if you had 90% of the time spent on that. But if you just aren't good at it and you say, hey, look, you know what? I can delegate this to someone else because they are really good at it, then do it if it's within uh, your budget. Yeah. One thing that I'm finding more and more is that it's so great to hire experts to just do the damn thing versus doing it myself. But right, then you need like money to do that. So it's like, okay, do then I hire the customer relations person or do I hire the graphic design? Like you have to make these decisions, which presents its own set of problems. But, you know, talking about like starting a business, right? Strengths and weaknesses, comparing things, like trying to be better, When starting a business, do you have any recommendations about like customer relations? Because I know just from like this past year or I should say really this past decade of like Amazon and comparing them to other retailers or just other businesses in general. Like if your customer service is top notch, that could speak volumes, even if your product is like meh or like maybe not the best or like. I'm just hearing more and more that when you are authentically communicating to your customers, there's transparency, like that seems to be 
the best thing. Do you agree with that? And do you have any recommendations on how to better treat your customers? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we have so many customers on flexible sites. Just because if you go with like a Wix or a Squarespace or even WordPress, right? If you take the time to save yourself time and money by doing it yourself, when you do run into a problem or you have questioning whether you should do this or that, there's no one to reach out to. There's forums, there's you know places on the internet that you can get. But with our customers, it's like the turnaround is immediate. You know, they ask questions, send an email, and then they get an answer immediately. Hey, this is what we can do. These are your options, or this is what we suggest. So, I mean, data customer service is what kind of really differentiates us from quite a few of the other agencies that we've had customers come from. So, you know, they just said, hey, look, you know what? They would send emails to their agency or, or developer, and they wouldn't hear from them for days. And so, at the end of the day, a lot of people, will go with a product or service just based on customer support. I mean, and this is one of the reasons that Amazon is so successful is because Bezos, the founder, he really focused that if somebody wanted help with something on their customer service, he wanted them to be able to get in touch and talk to someone within one minute from the time they dialed that phone number. And it it happens. So, I mean, even the biggest companies, they focus on customer service. And it's funny that you say that because, right, we can all agree that Amazon is probably the biggest company at this point. And yet you look at like what you had said, right, Wix.com, Squarespace, all these other people in the market. And right, you're waiting for hours on the phone to try to fix the problem. And it's like, and I get it, right? Sometimes you don't have all the people in the world to do these things, but at the same time, right, that leaves a bad taste in my mouth, especially as a business owner, Everything is urgent. You have to do it now. You have to fix this. You have to change your website. You have to do that. So if you're waiting, that's time lost, which is essentially money lost for business owners. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, it's because of social media and and all the internet and everything we have now. I mean, we've already seen studies where it says, you know, we have the attention span of a goldfish, you know, so it's not like we're becoming more patient. We're becoming more impatient. So we're more of saying, hey, I want this done now or yesterday. And is good and bad, but at the same time, there's a lot of times where you just want someone just to know, hey, we have this problem and we need to know if somebody's looking into it. Yeah. Do you find that going back to Amazon or Walmart or Target or one of these big companies, I'm finding, especially with the great resignation, we're having this movement of what they're calling gig workers, where people are basically hiring the smaller or the little guys to take care of things instead of really consulting with these big corporations. Do you think that that's going to change the way in which we do business? Like we're going to be working more with like independent contractors or like these smaller companies as opposed to just purely corporations? Or do you think it's always going to be a mix of the two? I think it's going to be a mix of the two. The gig economy is great in regards to allowing people to set their own hours. From a, a lifestyle standpoint, it's really promising that people can live where they want, they can work when they want, and it gives them a better lifestyle to live compared to you know going to working for a nine to five somewhere else. But at the end of the day though, the only part of it is that sometimes you go with an independent freelancer or a, a gig worker and they can't, they can't sustain it. So say you start working with someone that's for a year, they've been doing a great job, but then you know at the end of the day, they find it very hard and they shut it down. So now you have to go and look for someone else. And in our case, that's some one thing that we answer for nonprofits in small businesses is the fact that, hey, look, if you don't have to go hunting for developers or anything like that, 
we do work with those gig workers. We work with freelancers for you and we vet them. And then at the end of the day, we handle the hiring and stuff of that nature, but we're still giving back to the community and saying, we're supporting these folks, especially underrepresented workers that probably wouldn't get an opportunity in some of these bigger companies. We're always looking to have it as a cyclical return on investment for both us and for our clients. When you talk about nonprofits, the one thing that always strikes me, and maybe you can help clarify, is like, how is a nonprofit profitable without being profitable? You know what I mean? Like, there's this whole thing of like, you have to have money, right, to run the nonprofit, right? Because how can you provide services to people? But like, if it's a nonprofit, then like, how does that work, right? Well, up until a few years ago, did you know the NFL was a nonprofit? Really? Yeah, exactly. What the hell? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... Nonprofit status is a kind of way for organizations to save on their taxes, right? So it was a big deal when the NFL was a big nonprofit because they were saving billions in taxes. What happens is that obviously they were making money, but you're only allowed so much money that you can supposedly make. Now, what happens is that if you're doing you know really well as a nonprofit, the number that you're kind of looking at is how much is paid in expenses and salaries. Okay. Usually you want that to be pretty low. So for a nonprofit, if they're saying, okay, their expenses and salaries are less than 15% of the money they have coming in, then that means the other 85% of that money is going towards whatever their mission is or helping the people that they're looking to help. But you have some nonprofits where the expenses and salaries are close to 85% of the money they got coming in. So that 15% goes actually to the mission. So, I mean, imagine you getting in a million dollars, $850,000 of that is going towards salaries, running the organization, marketing expenses, and the other 150,000 is actually going to help out, you know, whoever is going to help out. That's kind of a way that, you know, some nonprofit organizations are able to hide money or, or continue making money, but not actually making a profit. But in most cases, nonprofits aren't working that way. They're making money. Their salary is considered, you know, an expense. So, I mean, people are able to work in a nonprofit and live. It's just the fact that nonprofits aren't allowed to make billions of dollars in profit, you know, past their percentage that's going towards their expenses and salaries. That's so crazy, though, when you think of, like, I look at Habitat for Humanity, which is a nonprofit, and then you look at the, what did you say, the NFL? Like, completely different industries. Like, you know, Habitat for Humanity, it's not like they're not charging you entry fee to certain things or like whatever it is, they're building houses and getting money from sponsors, whereas, you know, NHL has, you know, sponsors as well. But right, you charge X amount of dollars for that booth or for that ticket or for that concession stand. So it's like, and they're working with brands and who's sponsoring this chunk of the stadium or whatever it is. It's just like, it's so insane. Yeah. Yeah. And they were getting away for, I mean, imagine from 1980, you know, when they were 1980 to 2000, I mean, 2010, that's 30 years of no taxes being paid. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Wow. Damn. Whoever did that, I guess, well, I wonder if they got sued for it, but I mean, whoever did that play their cards, right? Because they probably helped the business a lot, but at our expense, basically. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, now they're paying taxes, but it's probably still not even as close as to what it needs to be compared to other companies and businesses that are paying taxes. 
Yeah. Damn. So crazy. So now that we're on like the topic of like nonprofits and even startups, right? Because they kind of fall in the same category. What are some of the mistakes or like the quote unquote fixing you need to do for these nonprofits or startups? Like what's the typical things that you see? Uh, we get, you know, some that are pretty simple, you know, it's like, Hey, I have this WordPress site. I'm trying to add this plugin and it's not working, you know, or we have the extreme versions of where, uh, a nonprofit has got their site hacked held for ransom. So, you know, they have to pay either $15,000 or $25,000 for that hacker to release access to their site again. It happens more so with WordPress just because um, plugins do tend to not stay secure and up to date. And then a hacker takes advantage and then accesses your data and realizes, hey, this is a big organization. I can take over their their website. We've had two of those, two nonprofits that we work with now that they had that done. And we do try to help out. But most of the time, if they pay that money, there's no guarantee they'll get their data back. That's crazy. For startups, what happens is that we've had some very simple cases where someone says, hey, look, I just need a simple MVP. I tried to build it with no code or low code, and now I need this integration. Okay, so we can help out with that. But uh, in other cases, it's we have one young lady that had a great startup idea. Uh, she went with an independent contractor. They said, okay, we, we give an estimate of $60,000 to build it. They said that it'll be 50% due at the beginning, and then we'll give you the other 50% at delivery. And he just disappeared, you know, took the $30,000 and disappeared. So then, you know, it was a matter of saying, okay, I need to do my due diligence. I need to come and check and say, make sure, hey, this person is legit. You know, they have experiences and, you know, a LinkedIn profile with lots of people or something like that. So now, I mean, people get referred to us just because they they know they can trust us and we're going to take care of them as best as possible. That's so crazy. I'm sure that person who shipped out the 30 grand probably was not very happy about that. Especially when you're in a startup, you know, like you're kind of on borrowed time, borrowed money, like, and especially if they had an investor who came in capital wise, it just sucks. It's probably a huge setback. Oh yeah, it's a huge setback. But I mean, at the end of the day, they sit there and they look at it as a positive, say, hey, look, you know, I would never have come met you come to work with us if it, that didn't happen. So, I mean, they just, and you know, we always have those stories, even in our in my age now, that, where it's like, okay, that was an expensive lesson to learn. Yeah, I've gotten plenty of those in my lifetime so far, and I'm only 28, oh my God. I mean, now that we're talking about WordPress and stuff and getting hacked, which by the way, I had no idea that hackers could essentially find information through plugins, like that's crazy. So it's interesting because when people first start their business, they typically right, they'll go to a Wix or Squarespace, one of these easier drag and drop formats, also because WordPress is so complex. But then on the other end, even if someone was HTML savvy or they were willing to take the time to actually implement a WordPress site and write research plugins and install, the thing that ends up coming up or came up for me was that I had so many plugins installed on my WordPress versus actually coding something like straight up like a contract form or whatever it is that it was so freaking slow. And then it's like, why do I even bother with this? And I should just go back to a basic website. Yeah. I mean, WordPress has got a learning curve. Uh, And that's one of the reasons when we first started out working with WordPress, we would help out a nonprofit and donate, you know, development time for like six months. So for six months, their WordPress was kick-ass. Like it was great. It was working. It was efficient. 
But then once the six months ends, you know, back then it was a different kind of business model, but they can continue working with us. But, you know, some opted not to, you know, they opted because it was just wasn't cost effective based off of the model we had uh, years ago. We would hear back from them three months later. James, we, we ran into this problem with our WordPress and we have no idea what happened. Can you look into it? Sure, we can look into it. No problem. And we would do it for free to get them up back up and run. But it would take so much time just to figure out what was wrong and what they did. Sometimes it's great to have total access to your website, but when you're not an expert or you're not tech savvy, you can make mistakes. And when you make a mistake and there's no one to turn to, then you're really, you know, you're really up a creek. Yeah. And then you could break the whole thing. Like I'm pretty skilled at code. I'm not like an amazing coder, but it's like the same thing. Like if you don't have the right brackets or you haven't, I mean, the simplest thing, like you don't put a semicolon somewhere or like, and it just completely like the whole thing breaks and you're just like, okay, now what? <laughs> like what do I you start from scratch? Like try to hunt and find the bug. Like it's just a pain. Yeah. And then, you know, with Wix and Squarespace, they make it a lot easier. So you don't have to deal with the actual code. You know, it's just drag and drop and things like that. But we've had quite a few of our organizations come from us from Wix and say, yeah, we got to a point where it just we ran the limitations. You know, it, it, we just couldn't scale anymore. We couldn't grow. And Wix doesn't allow you to take your website and move it to somewhere else. You have to stay on their platform to continue working with them. So, I mean, people find out after they work with those platforms that it wasn't the best fit, whereas we start from scratch. It's just custom. So, But at the end of the day, we're just looking to help. As you mentioned earlier with customer relations, I'm not here to sell anyone when I reach out to them. Like I, I reach out to plenty of people on LinkedIn. I see their posts and I say, hey, congrats. I love promoting other people's work. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm not sitting there saying, hey, you should go with us. Hey, you should go. No, if you need help, you're good. You have a great website. It's running. Great. You know, if you have any questions, please ask me. But if you're looking for help, reach out. I mean, that's that's what we're here for. Yeah. I think some people are dissuaded from reaching out to people just because in the old ways of doing business, there was always like something attached, right? It wasn't just like an open invitation of like, hey, can I ask you this question? It's like, well, what does this person want from me? And that's not a you thing. That's just a, everyone's been conditioned to think that. Oh, yeah, because we're getting sold to all the time. I mean, how many times do you get a, a connect on LinkedIn and then you connect with them? And then as soon as you connect with them, you get this long message saying, hey, this is what we offer. We can help you out. You know, just give us a chance. Like, OK, can you can you get to know me first? Like, yeah, ask me how my day was, maybe. I mean, it's just we're just so conditioned to getting sold to when someone reaches out. It's It's very hard for us to even connect with the right people because they're thinking, okay, they just want us to buy a service. No, I mean, we're just looking to help if you need to help. If you don't need to help, by all means. It's just good to know what you're working on, what your mission is, and how we can help promote it. Yeah, and I've seen that over time, the more that I... You don't want to give all your stuff away for free, right? You don't always want to be giving handouts. But like the more that you offer to help people, they remember you. And then when the time comes that they're actually looking to buy, they'll think of you or you know, they'll refer someone to you or something to that effect. Oh, yeah, definitely. And you need to have that not just in, in technology or anything else, but in any kind of business that you're doing where you're selling cupcakes or, or what have you. Just being able to talk with people as humans without selling to them and just getting to know what they are, what their needs are and, and understanding their pain points. People love talking about their problem. Well, not everyone, but most people have no problem talking about their problems. So if you can help, then great. Yeah. 
Yeah. Everyone loves being asked, like if you were to ask someone, hey, tell me about yourself, no one's going to be like, I don't want to do that. Like, of course, people like talking about themselves. So, you know, that's why podcasting for me, I find so easy to find guests because who doesn't want to explain their story and kind of their background and everything, or in some cases, right, some problem of some sort. But I want to kind of switch gears a bit. So as we've all seen with this past year with COVID and people working remotely, like some people love it, some people hate it. Sometimes it's like a combo in between. But what are some of the pros and cons of working remotely and being a digital nomad that you've seen now that you've been doing it for years, like way before even the work from home movement has started? It's funny because as a digital nomad, people always wonder is like, how can they afford it? Things like that. Most digital nomads are actually saving money. And you can see it now, right? With people moving, you know, they say, hey, I can work remotely. Why do I need to live in San Francisco? Why do I need to live in New York? They're moving to cities that are cheaper and they have a, a lower standard of living. So by working remotely, they're actually saving money. Now, granted, there are some of these companies that are cutting their, their salaries because they now don't live in those expensive cities. But if someone came to you and said, hey, look, you can work anywhere in the world, but we're going to only pay you 75% of your salary, you probably would take it. You know, I know quite a majority of people that would take that. For me, one of the things that was surprising is that I do actually save money because you, not that you're more budget conscious, but you know, when you sit there and, and you live in like Mexico or where I am now, say my apartment was $1,200, my one bedroom apartment was $1,200 a month. That didn't include like electricity or internet or all those other things that you pay for. But if I stay at a place, say I, I rent an apartment here in Mexico, all that is included and it's usually around $600 for a one or two bedroom apartment. That's crazy. <laughs> it's so crazy. Yeah, exactly. So I'm saving half the money right there in rent. And then plus, I don't have a car. Most of the places I stay are Uber or they have some kind of service or you know public transportation. So I don't necessarily have a car. So I don't have the car payment. I don't have car insurance. I don't have anything that to deal with. And now when I look at my, my Uber statements or transportation costs, it's maybe a hundred dollars a month, you know, if that, because I actually walk a lot more places because I don't have a car. So from a financial standpoint, digital nomad is great, but also from a health perspective, it's great because now I'm totally engaged with my environment. I'm sitting there saying like when I, when you're home, you've been to the same place probably 20 times from a lifestyle perspective. I'm in usually a new city every month. So when that happens, it's great because I'm sitting here learning new things, learning about cultures and sharing my culture with other people and things that I've learned. So you're constantly learning about new people and new things. Yeah. Even from a health and mental perspective, too, it's nice to... So I'm from New York. And so it's right. We go through the seasons. It's very crowded. A lot of like... I don't even call it smog, but it's a very dirty city. So now when I leave that city, not only from a health perspective, am I like in a cleaner environment? I like can be in the sunshine more if it feels right. Like I don't have to be around the snow if I don't feel called to be around the snow. Like I think it just goes to show that from like a physical perspective too, like, right, you get to sleep in because you don't have to rush to catch the train to go to the office or like there are so many benefits of working remotely. So then what are the cons? Cause I'm sure it's not all amazing. Like maybe like Wi-Fi doesn't work one day or like something happens and it's just not as picture perfect as you would think it would be. Yeah. You definitely have to be adaptable uh, and you definitely have to be more prepared having your, your different options. Just like you said, if I'm sitting in my apartment and all of a sudden I sit there and my Wi-Fi goes out, I need to know where the closest co-working space is. Now, obviously, if I'm living in Philadelphia, where I'm from, 
I know exactly where I can go. I know exactly how much it costs, everything like that. In this case, it's going to be something new. But at the same time, it is something new. You, like I said, you got to remain adaptable. Uh, another con for some digital nomads is that they're very lonely. When you live somewhere, you have lifelong friends, people that you hang out with, you know, once a month or can plan to do things. When you're moving around, if you know, you're meeting new people, which is great, but you don't really have that strong bond as you do with your lifelong friends. So it can, for some, get very lonely. For me and my partner, we travel together as we're both digital nomads. So for us, I always have someone that's there with me to do something with. But at the same time, I've talked to different digital nomads who are just doing a, a solopreneur. And they just, they said they want to do something, but they don't have anybody to reach out to. You know, so they have to go and take a chance and go somewhere. And if they don't have a good time, it's, you know, like, oh, okay, well, I tried this place, but it wasn't, wasn't my jam. So in those times, I can see how people get burned out as a digital nomad. And definitely another one is that you don't have much space for your stuff. Like I carry, I have one suitcase and one 20 liter bag, and that's all the clothes I have. So, I mean, you're constantly, you know, if you like having 20 pairs of shoes Guess what? You're going to either need to get a chest, <laughs> Sorry. Or, yeah, you're going to need a chest or your own suitcase to, to carry around. So for me, I'm a minimalist. So if it doesn't fit in a suitcase, I can't buy it. Which goes back to saving money. If I know I can't buy something, then there's I save money because I I can't tell you the last time I bought something on Amazon or something like that where I was like, oh, you know, what? I could use that. Why? Because it doesn't fit in my suitcase anymore. Yeah. It's so funny you say that because especially when you're working at a job, like you're in the nine to five, you're going to your corporate office or whatever, like not only are you spending so much money on like clothes and the shoes and where you have to update every season. And if you live in a place like New York where I have all four seasons, so you have to buy a closet filled of clothes that reflect the seasons as they're changing, it gets really expensive. And then right, your body changes and your style changes. But if you're confined to right just the suitcase, you really have to be mindful of like what it is you actually wear and like what it is you actually use. Cause I don't know about you, but this dawned on me about a month ago. I spent about three weeks in Florida with my boyfriend and I packed like an, a huge suitcase, like one of those ones that actually have to go in the luggage compartment, like under the plane. And then I brought like a backpack and then I also brought like a carry on suitcase for three weeks. Come on. And then of course I get there and I recycle the same fucking five shirts and like two pairs of leggings. Like I don't even use the stuff that I bought. So then it's like a reminder of like, we don't need all the things that we think we need at all. And that's the beauty of like minimalism is like, you don't need to continually work at a job you hate to basically fund a lifestyle that you hate too. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't, it's, it's full circle. Yeah, no, you're right. And I mean, you don't really identify what you don't need until it's not there anymore. For me, it's, it's a matter of saying like, when you're packing and you're saying, all right, I'm gonna be gone for the next six months. What do I absolutely need? In that case, you sit there and you look at clothes that you can wear two ways. A bathing suit that you can wear shorts to work out in, but also you can go swimming at the beach in. Those kind of clothing comes in really, really handy. So you actually save money in that regard. Like I have a, uh, a hoodie that transforms into a, a backpack. What? Shut up. That's a thing. Yeah, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's, a, it's been a big, a huge, I love that. And I, I saw the commercial on Instagram and I was like, Okay. Yeah. I'm sold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, cause for me, it was just a matter that is a problem, right? There's times where I need a bag and then there's times where I go somewhere and it's, it's cold and I'm like, all right, I need a, a little bit. Now, the thing is that you said about having New York all four seasons as a digital nomad, I haven't seen winter in probably about four years now, you know, so I haven't seen snow. 
I actually haven't been in any, any place that's been less than 80 degrees in probably over a year and a half, just because I've been able to jump around to different cities that are more like summer temperature. But the thing is, is that when you stay in that kind of temperature, you don't get sick, right? You're not dealing with any cold. You can catch, obviously you can get COVID or you can get a virus or something like that. But I haven't had a cold in a number of years because I just refuse to be in cold weather anymore. Like once it goes down to 80, under 80, I'm like, all right, it's too cold. I need to leave. (laughs) But do you think it also has to do with your environment? Just like you're in a place that makes you happy? Because I found like I would always at my work, it was like constant, like every two weeks, right? You have the scratchy throat, like you feel a little bit under the weather. Whereas now I would say about 99% of the time, I don't feel sick doing what it is that I love because I'm excited every single day. Like I'm in a better headspace. So like And I'm also traveling, right? I'm not always in the cold weather, but do you think that plays a factor in how you feel and what's going on? Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, stress does terrible things to your body, right? And then when you're not happy, you're more irritable. And then you're going to do something or say something that causes you stress because you're going to upset someone that you care about. So when you're in a happier mood, you avoid those kinds of situations. And, yeah, so, I mean, when you have a happier lifestyle, you're definitely less stressed. Do you miss anything about when you were like physically stationed somewhere versus being a digital nomad? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things that you miss, but it's mostly like things that you miss from home. So like when you're traveling around, the foods that you're used to isn't always available, you know? So like, for instance, I'm in Mexico. There's a good Chinese restaurant that I know back home so that when I'm in the mood for Chinese, I can go there. Finding that kind of restaurant here in Mexico hasn't been, it's like, oh, it's not as good, you know, or or things like that. But at the same time, if you go to a place and you don't really like the food, then that could be quite a bit of a bummer. But I'm not a big food person anyway. I really keep it simple. You know, if there's a pizza place around, I'm pretty much happy. But yeah, I mean, there's obviously other things I miss. Uh, You know, I don't get to see my kids as much as possible. They are old enough now, now that they're in their 20s which is one of the perks of having kids early is that, you know, as you're older, when you get in your 40s, they're now in your their 20s or getting ready to enter their 20s. So you can actually have fun with them. So I have them come visit me like, hey, I'm in this city or I'm in this country. I think you should check it out. Check if there's a cheap flight. And if they have time off work or something like that, they can jump in and catch up with me. But other than that, yeah, I, I, I miss those times of being able to just Christmas time open presents with them, you know, spend Thanksgiving, those holidays with them. But yeah, as a digital nomad, you don't, you don't get those opportunities. Well, it seems like there are definitely pros and cons between the two, but generally speaking, it seems like you're enjoying it for the most part. So far, so good. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. It would be very hard for me to go back to working nine to five in one place again after a year. I'd be like, all right, I don't want to gouge my eyes out. (laughs) We need to change things up a little bit. That's funny. I know I feel the same way. Even though I'm really new to this whole digital nomad thing, it's like, why would I ever want to go back? Like, no. Plus, spandex are really nice. So I just don't want to wear a pencil skirt anymore. So this has been really great. I'm glad that you shared all the stuff about nonprofits, your business, as well as like the digital nomad life. But one thing I like to leave off with all my guests is one final question of if you could give advice to your younger self, what would that be? To my younger self, I would say to my younger self is to not not get caught up into keeping up with the Smiths, as they say. So like right now, like as I'm older and I've done things and obviously people will sit there and as they're listening or, or they meet me, they sit there and say, wow, I want your life. Like it's a great life. 
you epitomize what their uh, goal is. But for me, when I was younger, it was a matter of you're always looking at what other people are doing and that at your age. So when you sit there and say, oh man, this guy is 24 and running his own business that just raised $100 million, then that kind of puts you like in a mood like, oh man, like kind of lose motivation. You know, and I used to do that a lot. I used to have a lot of pressure, but with that pressure was because, hey, you know, you're not doing as well because you made this mistake. And then I would think about the mistakes I made and, you know, with the kids and, and all the responsibilities and sit there and beat yourself up. There's always someone that's doing worse than you. But at the same time, we don't sit there and be like, oh, well, I'm doing great because I could be doing, I could end up like that. We always go back and be like, wow, that person's doing really well. Why can't I do that? Like, what's wrong with me? There's not nothing wrong with you. You just need to be able to focus on that one thing that's important to you. We all have the different things that we care about. So find that thing that you really care about and then go from there. Yeah, I like it. So easy to do, get into the comparison trap. It's like, it's ridiculous, but especially with social media, but. Yeah, I mean, we all want to be like Gabby, but I mean, it's not you know, <laughs> I don't a even. Very, very lofty goal. So, I mean, but at the same time, thank you. It's, what you've been doing in your career has, has been really great. And uh, congratulations to you. And, and I, I wish you more joy. And by all means, if you have any questions about Digital Nomad, just reach out to me. Oh, I definitely, I plan on it. <laughs> the, the great thing about podcasting is they get connected to like really cool people from all different backgrounds and like, it's so cool because like, right, we're all in the same boat and maybe we're in different places, like, right? You're way more ahead in your business than I am, right? You've already been where I am. So I can ask and be like, hey, James, like, what do you recommend for this? Or like, I know this person who would work with well with you. Or like, you connect each other or like, it just, it's an awesome, awesome, nice little network to blossom. So. And that's, and that's a great tip for people, just like you asked, if you ask uh, someone, you know, what they would say to a younger person is go get in touch with someone that's a couple steps ahead of you. You know, I'm not going to reach out to Elon Musk and say, hey, look, I'm looking for you to mentor. I'm looking for that person that's a couple steps ahead of me. And that way I can kind of, you know, strive to catch up to them, learn from their mistakes. So, yeah, if you keep doing that, you're in a better position than I was when I was your age. Yeah. Getting there. It's <laughs> taking time. But uh, this was so great, James. Can you just let them know, you know, the listeners, where they can find you, where they can connect with you, if they want to reach out, whether it's to inquire about your services or maybe in some cases ask you questions about mentorship or whatever. Uh, where can they find you? Uh, they can look up James Connor on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, you know, the co-founder of Flexible Sites. So if they go to FlexibleSites.com, they can schedule a demo and can walk them through. And, and by all means, I will reach out to them via email once they schedule that demo and, and just get to know what, how I can help. I'm always on LinkedIn. I'm always posting things, trying to promote other people's work. So if they, they want to connect with me and ask to, for their help, uh, you know, in whatever regard they need it to be, whether it's technology or digital marketing, or even just, hey, Jim, you know, I'm starting a business. This is my idea. What do you think? By all means, you know, I'm, I'm available. Love that. Well, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on, Gabby. It's been a pleasure. And I, I hope you have m many more successful episodes with Corporate Quitter. Thanks for listening to the Corporate Quitter podcast. Visit corporatequitter.com for resources, extended content, and additional information about our guests. To connect with us, stay up to date on all things Corporate Quitter, and to learn more about how you can leave the nine to five, follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys.